I love that phrase um, of God saying, I haven't finished writing the story yet. I wanted to start just by bringing a little bit of the story that I've seen God writing uh, around the world. Uh, I, yes, I grew up in New Zealand, very small, rural little school. Uh, I think there was 35 of us up to the age of 10 in two classrooms, so just a small beginning. If you would told that kid he would have ended up uh, working in Bangladesh, uh, he didn't even know, know where that was. You know, our God can take any of us and move us on. And yeah, I ended up working in Bangladesh um, in a hospital, in a Christian hospital there, seeing God bring healing to, to individuals and to a community. When we first arrived, we saw third-degree malnutrition, and that was kids with tiny thin arms and big pot bellies and gray hair because they had that was the amount of calories they were getting. And you don't see that now. God has changed a community. My wife is an obstetrician. And one of the things she's been focusing on is fistulas, fistula surgery. Won't go into what that is. It's not very pleasant. But, those, but we've now had one of the zones that we're working in is declared fistula free. Just phenomenal. God bringing healing. But the biggest joy for me being there was seeing a growing church of men and women who had been Muslim who now followed Jesus. They didn't use the title Christian because that's a, a cultural, social setting, but they called themselves followers of Jesus. And when we first arrived, we think the numbers were about 5,000 in the whole country. When we left, and this is nothing to do with me, this is what God was doing, I was just watching, it were about 150,000. That's in a country of 150 million. So, you know, we've got a long way to go yet, but God is changing the world and changing things and changing hearts. He is a great God. He's saying, I haven't finished writing my story yet. I love that phrase. Thank you. I took that experience when we moved to Gloucester and started teaching mission here. At, it was Redcliffe um, College, which is now merged with all nations. If you're wondering where it's gone and why it's gone, it's actually merged with all nations, which has been a great move. Um, and of course, starting with well, what on earth is mission? If you were to define it, how would you define it? And I think just for today, we'll, we'll use the very simple one of mission as being at the growing edge of the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is growing, and mission is being right at that growing edge of health, of wholeness, of hearts being changed, of his kingdom coming. When I moved out of being, I was a medical doctor, when I moved out of that to work with the church, people said, oh, so now your job is, is more spiritual. And my wife basically said some very rude words, which I shouldn't, because she's saying my work's spiritual. Of course it is. The kingdom of God is much, much bigger than just what we would label spiritual. It's this fullness of his kingdom. So, we're now in a class of students, and we're talking about mission. 
And I would start one of my classes by going, what are the resources that God has given us for mission? What are the important resources that God has given us? What are the type of answers you think that they might give back to me here? What are the resources that God has given us for mission? What's, what might be some of the answers? Money? Relationship? Time? Creativity? Expertise? Food? Where we come from, our own history, our own stories. Yes, you guys are actually a zillion times better than my sort of religious students because half of them would say, or oh, the Word of God. You're, well, yeah, brilliant. Let's, how, how do we use that? Yeah, so the Word. You've actually hit on one of the key ones that I would say. It's food. When you eat, when we eat with people, God's kingdom is there. If you want to be at the growing edge of the kingdom of God, then eat together and eat with others. The more you do that, the more God's kingdom is present. Food is massively, massively important for mission. And if you look at the alpha sort of things, and people were trying to figure out why alpha was so effective, it took a long time for them to realize that the meal at the beginning of alpha was 90% of what was happening. It's eating together is key in bringing God's kingdom. So we, we're looking at Luke chapter 13 and 14. How often is food mentioned in those two chapters? Just go through it quickly. Where do you see food being mentioned here? What do we have? I sorry, I should have pointed the, pointed you to these chapters at the beginning. <laughs> That's what we're looking at today. Cha Luke chapter thirteen and fourteen. Where do we see food being mentioned here? Yeast, yes. So the kingdom of God is like a little bit of yeast in how much flour? Thirty kilograms. This is not just a loaf. This is a whole two sackfuls of flour. A little bit of yeast can change all of that. What else? The great banquet. This massive banquet. We'll be having a look at that in a little bit. What else? Figs. Yes. The, the, the figs were mentioned. Now, the context. Remind me of the context. Yes, the fig tree, not, he's looking, where's the fruit, where's the food? It's not there. Therefore, what should we do? What else? Salt, yes, salt, losing its saltiness. That's a bit weird for us to get our heads around because he's probably not talking about sodium chloride. It's probably something else, so it can lose its saltiness. What else? Yes, the mustard seed. Yeah, a tiny tiny seed which goes to one of the biggest um, uh, biggest trees what about in the parable of the narrow door go through the narrow door what did some of them say we ate and drank with you and he goes go away I don't know you well, that's harsh isn't it but food is a part of that um, we have the meal at the Pharisees house 
And there, there's two uh, things going on. What, the far- what that leader is, how he's engaging with Jesus, but also Jesus saying, oh, look, when you throw a party, this is a, or go to an upper party, this is, one of, this is how to do it. So food here is massive. It's just a huge part of the culture that Jesus was in, and it's a huge part of the culture of the kingdom of God and mission. Now, I'm a foreigner, right? I'm not British. I am British now, sort of. Those of us who are foreigners look at the Brits and go, you don't eat together much. You go out to—I mean, I go out to cafes and coffee shops. Brilliant. You don't really get into each other's houses. I would pray that, as a church, as the body of God, you guys are known as people actually who eat together and with others. For in that, the kingdom of God is seen and known. So that's point one. The simplest, one of the simplest things, ways of concentrating on mission is food. Point two, what is the setting here? The setting of these two chapters is in a much bigger, if, this, if Luke was like Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, he actually, he is even bigger than that. Sorry, I've just thrown myself because Luke, of course, wrote Acts. Um, but this gospel, this is the second book or second part, it starts in chapter 9, where you're going up to chapter 9, the disciples are getting to know Jesus, they're learning of him, then there's the transfiguration, and he is the Christ, he is the Christ, and from that point on, there's a change, there's a new start, and it says, and Jesus set his face to Jerusalem, flint-like, un wavering he set his face to jerusalem up to now we don't have much of that but from now jesus is going i'm heading to easter to the cross to jerusalem and there's much talk of death of struggle of things going wrong so the setting here is in this part is in that book the book of cost the book of this is going to hurt this is not simple there's a cost to following jesus in bangladesh one of my friends who came to know jesus joyfully just amazing um he his wife was not happy (laughs) and she arranged her for her brothers to tie him up and put him in the garden shed which was made of corrugated iron and it's roughly 35 degrees celsius and about 95 percent humidity and he was in there for a weekend with no no liquids why he didn't die they beat him up and he said, no, I follow Jesus. And you know what? His wife came to faith a year later. Why? Because in that year, he never hit her once. He was a changed man. The violence that had been part of his life 
was no longer there, despite the violence that she was causing his way. In the end, my friend was killed on Good Friday. There is a cost to following Jesus. We're getting a little bit of that as we look at the events of the world now, aren't we? The cost of just being in a certain nationality, the cost of, if you were trying to stand up for nonviolence now, there is a cost to following Jesus. Let's read Luke chapter 15. Uh, 14, I'm sorry, I read that again. Luke chapter 14, and we'll start at 25, just that section. Once when large crowds of people were going along with Jesus, he turned to them and said to them, whoever comes to me, cannot be my disciple unless he loves me more than he loves his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers, his sisters, himself and as well. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. If one of you is planning to build a tower, he sits down first and works out what it will cost to see if he has enough money to finish the job. If he doesn't, he will not be able to finish the tower after laying the foundation, and all who, who see what happened will laugh at him. This man began to build, but he can't finish the job, they will say. And if a king goes out with 10,000 men to fight another king who comes against him with 20,000 men, he will sit down first and decide if he is strong enough to face the other king. If he isn't, he will send messages to meet the other king and ask for terms for peace, while he is still a long way away. In the same way, concluded Jesus, none of you can be my disciple unless he gives up everything that he has. The cost of following Jesus is huge. I want to just you to turn to your neighbors in groups of two or three and sort of say, what is the cost that you've seen either in your own life or in others, and has it been worth it? What's the cost that you've seen, and has it been worth it? Sometimes it's hard, isn't it? Um, I have the privilege of heading back to New Zealand to meet my grandfather, who was, at that stage, I think he was 95. And we only saw him every four years because we were in Bangladesh. And he sat, he had been through the war and he had been through the depression. And he sat my two boys down as he, we were about to leave, thinking I may not, 95, he may not see them again. And he sang to them, count your blessings, count them one by one, and you will see the good that the Lord has done the age of 95, I hope that I can sing that. So we've looked at food. Food is just incredibly important in mission. We've looked at the cost. It will be costly. But do you notice that one of the, one of the themes that comes through these two chapters is also the theme of Sabbath. 
the day of rest, the day of rest and recreation. But I think what Jesus is doing here changes that second word, recreation, slightly. It's the day of rest and recreation. We have two settings, two Sabbath settings, where a person is healed. The woman who had been bent over for 18 years. Now, because I, when I was in Bangladesh, I worked in the tuberculosis clinic. And we, see, we saw quite a lot of TB. And TB of the spine will do that. I had a patient of mine who walked in with, she was bent over because the TB, the TB had destroyed her spine. And so that her face was level with her knees. That's how she walked. And Jesus looked at this woman. And he called her, dear woman. And then he healed her. The Sabbath, the day of rest and recreation. God's healing in the midst. We also have the guy with the swollen legs. And I'm sure actually there are people in Gloucester um, with a condition similar to this. Where the, because of several things can do this, but people's legs get so large and swollen, it's very hard for them to walk. We see that even here now. And Jesus healed him. The day of where healing is comes to the fore. But we also notice that for both of these people, there's opposition. There's people whose theology gets in the way of seeing the humanity of these two poor people. Some of the religious leaders are thoroughly angry with Jesus, just spitting tacks. And if, uh, if we had more time, I'd love to go into, into what's, what's going on in these guys' heads because they are just furious with Jesus for healing. And Jesus said, look, if you, if you had an animal, you'd happily pull them out of a pit. And yet you're angry that these people have been healed. But the point for us here is sometimes the context that we're in and the general thinking that we've got steps in the way of us seeing the humanity of people in need. And yet the joy of God's growing kingdom is that Everyone is invited. The parable of the banquet is of this massively important, massively rich person going, right, let's get together and celebrate. And you've got to love some of the excuses. Oh, I've just bought a field and I want to go and see it like you didn't see it beforehand. I've just bought some oxen. I've just bought a Ferrari. I want to go and drive it. And all the people that are going, no, I'm not into this. But the invitation is not only for them. It's for the little people. It's for the people who are in the, in the byways. It's for call everyone to this banquet. Jesus recognizes the humanity of everyone. The ones that culture, our culture, our teaching, our mindset might lead us to overlook. Jesus is right there. And calling them. So mission is the growing edge of the kingdom. 
there will be a cost. Let's not fool ourselves. There will be a cost. But the good news is it includes food. Mission includes food and healing and restoration and recreation. And the kingdom notices the people that others would overlook and invites them and calls us into being his kingdom. And it's worth it. It is very, very worth it.